Our second scripture reading picks up in the story where David left off, and here we are in the cave with Elijah. At that place, Elijah came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of God came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for God, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. God said, go out and stand on the mountain before God, for God is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before God. But God was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But God was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But God was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for God, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. They are seeking my life to take it away. And then God said to him, Get up and go. Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Please pray with me. Holy God, you are always with us. Open our eyes to see our ears to hear, and our hearts to gladly receive your word for us this day. Amen. In this morning's scripture, we find the prophet Elijah cowering in a cave. And we have to ask ourselves as compassionate, thinking people, what's wrong with Elijah? Because Elijah, well, he is one of the superheroes of the Bible. He's a powerful prophet. He's the prophet who takes on kings and queens and slays the false prophets of false gods. This is the prophet who, from the very beginning, stands up to the evil King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. When they don't listen, Elijah calls down a drought on the land, then flees from their wrath and survives out in the wilderness. He's fed by ravens sent by God who bring him bread and meat. Elijah is the prophet who befriends a widow starving in that drought and miraculously produces a jar of flour that never runs out so that he and the widow's family can survive. And then when the widow's son dies, Elijah brings him back to life. 
And as we meet Elijah this morning, he's just coming off of one of his biggest victories. Elijah has taken on the prophets of Baal. They were all challenged to set up these big bonfire piles to see whose God would send down the fire. And the prophets of Baal set up their bonfire pile. And Elijah set up theirs all to see whose God was real, whose God had the power to send the fire. And to make it even harder, they drenched Elijah's bonfire pile with water and Guess who won the challenge? Elijah. Or we could ask of all those prophets, guess which one is still alive? Elijah. Elijah is a powerful prophet. He is a superhero of the Old Testament. But here he is in this morning's scripture. Here he is just after that, and he's on the run. Queen Jezebel sends this messenger to tell Elijah, may God do such and such to me if by tomorrow you are not dead. And Elijah takes off, wouldn't you? Elijah goes as far south as he can, and then he leaves his servant, who's probably better off without him in his mind, and he sets off into his own, into the wilderness. And when he can't go one step further, he finds a broom tree. He lies down underneath it, and he says, I have had enough, and he goes to sleep. He can barely lift his head up off the rock he's using as a pillow. What's wrong with Elijah? Well, you know what I think? I think Elijah is human. I think Elijah is worn out. As my grandmother would say, I think that Elijah's get up and go has got up and went. Elijah has been engaging the fullness of life with the fullness of all that he is, living life with everything he's got, and the world has not been friendly, and life has not been easy. You know, it can't be easy calling down droughts and being hunted down by kings and queens and taking on the false prophets of the false gods, and Elijah gives out. Elijah's exhausted. Maybe, maybe he's in the depths of despair. Life and the world are overwhelming. Elijah's get up and go, has got up and went. And maybe you know what that feels like. It's hard to live in the world right now. Hard to wake up in the morning and turn on the news because the world seems to have gone mad. Our nation seems to have gone off the tracks. Our national and global problems feel bigger than we could ever fix. And I don't know about you, but I start to feel helpless and overwhelmed. And even closer to home, life. Life can be rich and rewarding, and it can also be overwhelming. It's not easy living life in family. Not easy to raise kids or teenagers or adult children. It's not easy to live through our own aging through the aging of our parents. It's not easy to live through illness and our deep grieving. During this epiphany season, we've been talking about the experience of encountering something so much bigger than ourselves. And sometimes what is bigger than ourselves is life. Wherever we are, whatever the nation, community, or family, we know what those days feel like when the alarm goes off and we just want to pull the covers up and stay in bed. We know what it's like when it feels like our get up and go has got up and went. And that's where we find Elijah this morning, asleep on a rock in the wilderness under a broom tree. And so just this morning, just this morning, 
I suggest that we just lie down there with him. Because life is hard. Pull up a rock for a pillow. Pull the covers back up in any place that we are weary, in any place that you are weary. Let's just crawl up under that tree with Elijah and listen for what God has to say next. And the first thing that God has to say through an angel, God's messenger, is this. An angel comes and touches Elijah's shoulder and says, get up and eat. And Elijah opens his eyes and sees a cake of bread baked over fresh coals and a jar of water. There in the middle of nowhere, a bite to eat and a cool sip of water on a dry, dusty day. And Elijah drinks and Elijah eats and then he crawls back over under that broom tree and he goes right back to sleep. And then the angel comes back later and touches Elijah and says, Elijah, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. The angel knows. God knows life is hard, that the way can be too much. There's no judgment or shame because Elijah has given out just a word of encouragement and a bite of bread and a jar of water. And that's a start. Elijah gets up and walks a few miles further to Mount Horeb and found, finds a cave for shelter. And that's where we hear the second thing that God has to say. God finds Elijah in that cave and says, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And Elijah thinks he understands the question, so he rattles off the list. Your people have rejected you and me. They've killed all the other prophets. I'm the only one left. But, but you know, I, I think that's really not what's got, what God was asking. But, but we'll come back to that. Because God's going to give Elijah one more try at the question. And so we get to the good part of the story. This is maybe the part of the story that you remember from Sunday school growing up or that you've heard preached before. The third thing that God says, and God says, Elijah, get up and go stand at the mouth of the cave and wait for God's presence. And we know what happens next. There's a mighty wind that shatters stone. But God's not in the wind. There's an earthquake. But God's not in the earthquake. There's a fire, but God's not in the fire. And then after the wind and after the earthquake and after the fire, in the way we probably heard the story as children, there is a still, small voice. Or today's translation, the sound of sheer silence. Or I might translate it like this, a small, quiet whisper. And God asked the question a second time. Elijah, why are you here? And Elijah starts with that list again, the list of his worries and woes, his very real problems. But I don't think that's what God means when God says, why are you here? God is inviting Elijah to see God's presence to see it, to hear it, to taste it, to feel it, to experience God's presence. Elijah, why are you here? Elijah, you're here because I brought you here. 
You're here because I've been with you every minute of every day from the moment you were born. Do you remember? I sent ravens with food and water when you were in the midst of that drought. And then I sent you and the widow a jar of flour that never ran out. And then in the midst of death, I brought that widow's son back to life. I sent you the widow and the son and a whole host of co-prophets to accompany you. I was with you when you faced down those prophets of Baal and when you fled for your life. And what about that cake of bread you just ate and the jar of water? Why are you here? You're here because I'm here, because I have always been with you, because I have never, ever left your side. Get up. Come to the mouth of the cave and experience my presence, not in a violent wind or in an earthquake or a raging fire, but in the sound of sheer silence. In a small, quiet whisper, I am here, right here with you, and I have never left. What we usually remember from the story is where God is not. Not in the wind, not in the earthquake, not in the fire. But this story is actually inviting us to ask an entirely different question. This story is inviting us to look around in Elijah's story and in our own lives and our own world and ask this question, where is God? And maybe we've conditioned ourselves to think that God only shows up big, that God only shows up in a big show of power, earthquake level power in a way that fixes everything for us and sets the world right in a flash. And if God doesn't show up like that, then what's the point really? Because our problems are real, our troubles are big, and we need help. But what we experience with Elijah is this. God shows up in the sheer silence. In the sheer silence that underlies all of our noise, not in the wind, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, not always in a big flashy moment, but in the sheer silence that is always with us, that underlies every moment of every day in a small, quiet whisper. As one writer says, God's voice often shows up in unspectacular events and ordinary people, in everyday moments of every day. God gets that Elijah's way, God's Elijah, is too much for him. The angel says so, and then God invites Elijah to notice. To notice God's constant, loving, sustaining, accompanying, providing, protecting presence. Get up and eat. Get up and come out and see my presence. Now tell me again, why are you here? I've got this little prayer that I learned when I was first starting out at seminary from Beth Liebert. It comes out of the Jesuit tradition, and it's called the Prayer of Examine, and you may be familiar with it. And it's just a prayer for noticing every day when and where we're experiencing the presence of God, and it couldn't be any simpler. At the end of the day, You just find a quiet place and you look back. You look back over your day and you ask two questions. First, where did I feel distant from God? And then, where did I feel the close presence of God? Where did I feel distance from God? And where did I feel the close presence of God 
in the morning, in the afternoon, at the dimming of the day, in the people I met along the way, in the life I live today. Maybe take some notes. Maybe keep track of all the places over time that we see God showing up. It's kind of like being invited to come to the mouth of the cave and to notice, to look for God's presence. And what we find in this prayer over time is the pattern of God's presence in our life, a deep well from which we can draw a sip of water for our parched places, a cake of bread, and bread for the journey. Oh, and I almost forgot. God says one more thing to Elijah. After all that, after the bread, after the water, and the reminder of God's presence with Elijah, always God says, okay, Elijah, now get up and go. Get up and go because you still have work to do. There is an unjust king to challenge, and I've got some reinforcements for you to meet. And for us, we still have families to feed and loved ones to care for and systems and structures of oppression to dismantle and a planet to tend and to mend. We still have work to do. And so God says to Elijah and to us, pack up the rest of that bread. Remember what you have heard here in the sheer silence. And now get up and go. Because God always has something for us to do in the world. Our lives have purpose, even when the work is hard and even when it is scary and bewildering. God is near. Get up and go. Now, I don't want to leave you only with that. I want to leave you today with a little bread for the journey. As I've worked with this text and also thought over the whole, particularly of the Hebrew scriptures, of all the ways that God shows up to replenish and nourish God's people, I've, I've written a poem of blessing. And I want to give it to you to carry it with you into the days. And I don't want to wait till the end of the service to do it, so I'm going to say it now. Um, but I literally want to give it to you. It's on pink sheets of paper, and you can pick it up at the back to take with you. But here it is, from me to you. When your get-up-and-go has got up and went, may God send you a raven with snacks and a small, quiet whisper. Manna in the morning, water from the rock, and quail in moderation. A perch to glimpse a promise that you may never enter. Stones for the stream and milk and honey. Mordecai prophets and Ruth, a bird with a twig, a stranger to wrestle, breath for dry bones, a friend with an arrow, and a midwife or two. And then, when you have eaten and slept, and maybe even before you are ready, may you get up and go.